1: Hello, welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. And this week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Megan Hyatt Miller. She is the CEO at Michael Hyatt & Company. She's the co-host of the Lead to Win podcast, and she's obviously the daughter of... Michael Hyatt, whose name you'll recognize because he's been on this show a number of times. In fact, he's on in the first episode of this show. And Megan is here to talk about a book that she co-authored with Michael called Win at Work and Succeed at Life. Five principles to free yourself from the cult of overwork. And I thought I would take the opportunity, since Michael's been on the show so much, and the fact that Megan co-authored the book to add an additional productivity perspective to the show and have Megan come and talk about the book and the five principles that help you rethink work and productivity from the ground up so that you can achieve what Michael Hyatt and company call the double win that lets you again, as the title goes, win at work and succeed at life. And in this conversation, we talk about that. We talk about those five principles principles. We talk about it from a high level and then drill down into practical steps that you can take at home and at work to achieve true work-life balance and how to make that work for you. So I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Megan Hyatt Miller. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Megan Hyatt Miller. Megan, welcome to the show.
0: Eric, thank you so much for having me. This is such a treat.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a treat for me, too, because, I mean, we've met a couple times in person, but obviously people know of the shadow that looms from your dad more <laughs> than you, but that'll eventually pass. We'll, we'll change that. But anyways, <laughs> um, he's been on the show so much. In fact, he was the first episode I ever recorded, not the first I released. Wow. But it, he's been on so many times. I thought, well, with this new book that you wrote with him, Why not talk to Megan? Let's get another perspective here. So I'm so glad to have you.
0: Well, I'm so glad to be here. We love your show. My dad has loved being on with you over the years and we're big fans. So this is really fun.
1: So before we jump into the book, I want to set a little context here. You're the CEO of Michael Hyatt and Company. That's that's, that's a right. new title. That's a change. It is new, pretty recent. But one of the real cool things to see, somewhat from behind the scenes, having talked with your dad and had lunch a couple times and stuff, is he really puts forth like learning through experience, and by that I mean yeah, failed experience, right? All <laughs> the stuff that all the stuff about winning at work and and succeeding at life is him attempting to do that and figuring out. Well, that didn't work. What? How do we? How do mm-hmm. we make this work? I'm curious, from your perspective, though, from when you first started, through yeah. to to the book, like, what's your journey looked like?
0: Yeah, th- thank you. That's a great question. So I started in 2012 uh, with my dad. At that point, he was uh, mostly writing, speaking. He had just written his first. Uh, book with a company, which was called platform get noticed in a noisy world. And Eric, that's kind of when our worlds intersected. We were talking a little bit about that before we started recording. And, you know, at that point, I had just adopted two boys uh, with my husband, Joel from Uganda in 2011. When I married him in 2009, I uh, inherited two kids through that marriage, two bonus kids. And so all of a sudden we had four kids and I had decided a couple years before that, well, I think I'll just be a stay at home mom. I, I just like, I've, all these kids now, it's too much. Our boys had some special needs, pretty significant needs that needed my attention. And about nine months into that, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. You know, it was, it was uh, really challenging for me. And I felt like I needed another Alan. So I was talking to my dad and I basically just went to work for him part time for something else to be involved with kind of like in the adult world. And it quickly snowballed from there before I knew it, you know, I was in charge of all kinds of stuff. We were launching all kinds of different things and it grew and grew and grew. Um, And then Uh, About 2015 or so, we kind of got to a critical point in the growth of the company where he came to me and he said, hey, I really want you to take over running the company. I want to make you the COO. Um, I want to be able to focus on some different things in the business. And I can't do that while I'm running the day-to-day operations. And so I want to you know, see if you will take over. And in my heart, I was like, oh. I really want to do this. This is a huge opportunity. I feel like I've been working towards something like this my whole life. I knew that professionally I could do it, but I'm looking at my kids going, but they need me, you know, and they, and they really need me in a particular way that I can't delegate. I can't outsource, you know, I need to be there when they are ready to be picked up from school every day. And so I went to him and I said, I want to, I want to say yes to this opportunity, but the only way I can do it is if I can leave every day at three 30 and go pick up the kids from school, because I need to be there when they get home, they need me. And he was like, sure, I don't care. As long as you can you know, deliver the results, it doesn't really matter to me. And I was like, okay, game on, you know? And so that really, for me, the, um, the imperative of my kids needs was what drove me to this thing in the book when it work and succeed at life that we call the double win, you know, um, that I wasn't willing to com- compromise professionally what I knew I could accomplish. But I also knew that I couldn't compromise in my personal life because the stakes were too high. And for a lot of people, they feel like they do have to choose. And it's really kind of what we get into in the book is we we think you don't have to choose if you think about it differently and you go after something we call the double win.
1: Yeah, I, I love that you set that boundary of three thirty because yeah. that really exemplifies the rule Parkinson's law where, yeah. you know, work expands to fill the time allotted. Well, if you're just saying, well, that's the, that's the time that's allotted for it, you're still right. going to, you're going to work and you're going to get, you're going to work smart and you're going to get it done and yep. be able to check out and leave with yep. no guilt. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I have certainly had various seasons where that's been harder than others. And I've had to kind of come back to the drawing board and figure things out again. It's, it's not that it's perfect or always easy, but my gosh, it's been so worth it. My boys who were at that time, you know, were little are now 12 and 10 and have made so much progress and are really doing well. We've now, we now have five children. We adopted a baby two years ago who turns two on Easter Sunday oh. and she's just a total blast. She also has some special needs and, and, it's just made it possible to align what matters to me personally, but also not compromise my professional potential, you know, or the potential of our business, um, which is really rewarding, you know, and I think um, most of us, have come to believe that we have to make a choice and it just doesn't have to be that way.
1: Yeah, you don't have to, it's not a single win option. It's the, it's no, the double No, exactly.
0: Yeah. It's not an option where somebody has to lose. And I think that's what we've been told. You know, we talk in the book about this idea of this kind of, this false dichotomy of either, well, there's a hustle fallacy, you know, where if I just if I just hustle, you know, think of Elon Musk or somebody like that who's sleeping on their couch and hadn't seen their kids in, you know, months or whatever. Um, and, but that's the way you're going to succeed and, you know, and sort of more, non-celebrity culture, we kind of tell ourselves, well, it's just till the end of this launch, or it's just till the end of this, you know, thing I finish at work or whatever. And it, it never really ends. You just kind of keep hustling and you make all these compromises that you regret later, or you go over here on the other side to what we call the ambition break, which is, well, I guess because my family matters to me, or maybe I'm caring for my elderly parents, or maybe I have a chronic illness, or, you know, I don't want to end up with one or or whatever. I guess I'll just have to kind of pump the brakes on what I know I'm capable of so that I don't make a compromise that I'm going to regret later. And, you know, my dad and I, as we were writing this book, we thought to ourselves, we don't like either one of those choices. (laughs) You know, they, they both stink. And I think with some intelligence and some creativity, um, it's really possible to discover a third option, which is winning at work and succeeding at life. And that's what we call the double win.
1: Yeah, I, I love that that is what the double win is, is that it's it's yeah. winning on both fronts. Right. In terms of that, we've talked about work-life balance before on yeah. this show. It's been a while since we've addressed it. I, yeah. Some people have an aversion to that. They say sure. work-life blending or... You know, yeah. one of the best examples I've ever heard was like walking on a slack line where yes. you're kind of staying balanced in both, but occasionally you do have to swing one way or the other without uh-huh. falling completely off on one yep. side or the other, just because. But 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 generally it's the exception, not the rule where right. you know, like you lean hard into one side and then you lean hard into the other. But overall,
0: Life Mm -hmm. is healthy
1: in other words, and you're you're again winning them both ways.
0: I think that's true. And here's what's really interesting. When people talk about work-life balance, I think part of the reason it gets a bad rap is because no one really talks about how do you do it. And it sounds like pie in the sky. And it's mostly just empty promises. And people either feel like they're a failure or they feel like they're disappointed by that idea. The other thing that happens, I think, among high achievers is they kind of poo-poo it because it just sounds sort of soft and you know, like you're not serious enough. And what we love about the double win is that in many ways, this is really a performance strategy for your whole life. You know, this is not about how do you underperform on purpose? This is about how do you perform at the highest level possible in all areas of your life so that you get to the end of your life and you think, my gosh, I have reached my professional potential. I've done more than I ever thought possible, but I've also done the same thing in my marriage with my children, with my you know parents, in my community, with my health, spiritually, whatever, all the different domains of your life. And, and so that's what we're really interested in is... If you think about like elite athletes, they would never overtrain as a performance strategy, which is kind of what we're doing often professionally, right? We're working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, just as our kind of business as usual, that would never fly for professional athletes because they would end up injured their careers would be cut short. You know, they wouldn't perform at the highest level. And instead they're looking at a holistic perspective of how do I get myself to perform at the highest level by looking at this big picture. And that's really what we want to, that perspective is what we want to bring into the professional realm for people.
1: Yeah. I love that you leverage that, that, that high achievers, (laughs) we're not all high achievers. Some of us have to think we are, or or we (laughs) are literally, or or we're we're maybe forced to think we are because of the hustle culture, you know, perpetuated. But What people don't address is this idea that rest is a tool. In other words, having a life, succeeding at life, is not a cop out or a a failure. It is actually something that, if you are very work oriented overall in your life, having a life will make you better at
0: work. That's right.
1: It's it's not you know it's it's not something where you're in other words you're not wasting time resting. You're sharpening. Yourself, your aspects of yourself, other aspects of yourself. You're right. you're letting your brain your brain have dormant time and things like that. So
0: exactly, we talk about that in the book. The idea of non-achievement and how foreign a concept that is for people who are just so obsessed with achievement, which is true for most of us in the West. Um, but actually, again, this is a performance strategy by giving yourself t- non-achievement time. You're really refilling the well, so that when it's time to innovate and be creative professionally, you've something to draw from, you know, just to give you kind of like a real world example of this. So, of course, last year in COVID, like everybody else, we were immediately faced with the incredible stress that our team was under, uh, with you know, toddlers crawling all over people's back while they were trying to figure out Zoom, while they were trying to homeschool the kids, while they were trying to, you know, manage... Uh, parents or, you know, whatever, so many things happening all at once while also trying to pivot in our business and meet those needs, etc. And we determined in I think it was about the uh, first or second week of April. So we're, you know, a few weeks in now to this crisis. And we've, we felt like, gosh, our people are just Sucking wind, you know, like emotionally, psychologically, mentally, physically, people are really struggling because now all of a sudden they have demands that they've never had. And so we decided to cut our workday back from, you know, about eight hours to six as an experiment. And we just said, you know, because they were, they were coming to us and saying, working eight hours feels like working 16 hours right now. You know, it feels like we're moving through mud. It's so hard. And so we said, okay, let's try this experiment. And, you know, what we found is is that one, people were more productive. That we really didn't lose productivity. Um, that you know we we've decided to make that experiment permanent in our company, and we're pretty close. Probably by June, we'll have everybody in the company able to work uh, a six-hour workday all the time. And what was amazing for us last year is that you know we always go through strategic planning. We set a pretty aggressive budget. We exceeded our profit goal by fifty percent last year in the middle of a pandemic year, working twenty-five percent less time. And I feel like that's we're talking about here. You know, it's it's that kind of math in terms of we're not compromising our performance, but we're being very strategic about how we think about it so that we really get the most out of the contribution we have available.
1: Again, it goes back to I almost hear the echo of I'm going to stop at three thirty. Right. right. It's almost exactly. like putting that in place for everybody at the company.
0: Yeah, right. And I knew I had done it for so many years at that point. You know, I always kind of wanted to try it with the whole company, but there's nothing like a good global crisis to make you try things you've never thought about trying before and, you know, really take that risk. And man, it's just been nothing but amazing. Our, our team is now able to pick their kids up from school. They're able to work out after work. They're able to, you know, spend time doing other fun leisure things. And it's just enriched the quality of everybody's contribution And we love it. Not to mention, it's an amazing recruiting tool, right? And retention tool.
1: For sure. One of the things that I was interested in talking with you about is this idea of, again, you mentioned work-life balance. We've been talking Mm -hmm. around that. Your perspective, though, as a woman probably differs because you hear it often referred to as Mm a, I mean, it's honestly, it's almost a gender biased thing where it's mostly talked about as Gen- work life yep. balance is a woman's problem, not a man's. Right. A man doesn't have to worry about that. Yeah. I'm interested in hearing maybe a little bit of, you know, the uniqueness of the last year, but mm-hmm. also prior to that, with with yeah. you and even your husband's, yeah. you know, how you d- work with work life balance as a family unit.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a great question, and I think you're absolutely right, Eric. I mean, this is so often on the covers of women's magazines. You don't see it on the cover of men's health, you know, very often or something like that. You know, it's just not typically a topic that men are uh as as mindful of. And I think that's because we have lived in a culture for a long time that even though most families have two working adults, you know, both spouses are working, um, the the kind of gender norms of who's responsible to sort of be CEO of the family, take care of all that still remains um, squarely in the lap of women for the most part. You know, I think the statistics are that, um, you know, women do 50, 50 percent of women do housework every day and like 22 percent of men do housework every day, for example. So it's just really unequal in that way. But I think we're all trying to figure it out together. And, you know, when Joel and I got married, we've been married for 12 years um, and, and really my career started taking off and uh, it was going to be clear that I was going to have a lot of responsibility we have a lot of conversations, honestly, just negotiating, how are we going to do this? And I think it's, it's a combination of, first of all, a shared commitment to each other, you know, that we want to be for each other professionally, that we want to help each other to be all we can be. Joel is an executive in our company as well. Um, so we both have executive level jobs with a lot of responsibility and teams and you know all that stuff. And we just decided, hey, we're going to be for each other. This is not going to be a competition from the beginning. And we are going to intentionally pursue equity between the two of us. So in fact, we, we have revisited this many times. We recently made a list of all the things that we were still doing in our home that we hadn't you know, delegated or outsourced or whatever that were like driving us crazy. And what we found when we did that is even though we'd had many conversations, Conversations, there were still way more things on my list than were on his list. And he was like the first to acknowledge that, you know, wow, this is really unequal when we sort of objectify this. How can we divide that up differently? And we did. We went through and he took a bunch of stuff. We decided we're going to delegate some stuff. Um, You know, I thought differently about some of the things that I wanted to hang on to. And And I think that's how it works well. You have to talk about it. And I think for men, you know, for husbands to not be threatened by that, but to come into it like, I really have something to offer here. This may be new, but I like, I can step up here. I can contribute in a really meaningful way and what that makes possible for women. Um, Not only for their wives, but women in general is huge, you know, and it it contributes to the family. I mean, I think our children are better for seeing us partner, co-parent, co-lead our family, all that stuff. You know, we're really, really partners. And I love that.
1: Dot com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, dot xcom to learn more.
1: One of the things that I know you also place a high importance on is not just the the integration of work-life balance with, between the two of you and your, and your family, but taking regular time to strengthen your marriage relationship. Yeah. This is one of the things I'll just be flat out honest. I was like, oh my gosh, this blows me away that you guys, that you and your husband had set up this time to have date night. Now I know that's kind of been a struggle, but you've, I mean, I remember seeing some stuff in this (laughs) over the course of coronavirus year where, you know, in the pandemic that gets a little bit hard. Right. But even, I think I saw, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like, okay, kids, you Are set up to be over here and we're going to be in the other end of the house and we're still going to have date night in other words. We're going to make it work (laughs) even when it doesn't work when we were more locked down and everything. Can you talk a little bit about like the intentionality behind that and making that work practically?
0: I feel like this kind of goes to a strategy that we talk about in the book, the When at Work and Succeed at Life book, where we talk about establishing three areas of non-negotiables. And we talk about self-care non-negotiables, relational priorities, and professional results as being the three areas. So self-care, relational priorities, and professional results. And so when we think about Uh, Joel and I think about together, what are our relational priorities? Um, One of the first things, actually the first thing that comes to mind, even before our kids is our marriage, because that's the foundation of our family. You know, if our marriage is not healthy and strong, getting the attention it needs, then our ability to lead and care for our family is going to be compromised. And so we have had a practice of either biweekly date nights or we are now weekly date nights for several years. And that has not been always easy. Again, we have children special needs. Getting babysitters has been difficult over the years. It's easier now than it's ever been because things are, are really in a good place. But that's not always been easy. But especially because we've had children with special needs, we we're like, we got to get out of this house and have some time with each other, you know, so that we're able to just make it through this and really nurture ourselves. And that's been um, absolutely the top priority for us relationally. So it's not always like fancy. It's not like we're going out to concerts and fancy restaurants and, you know, like dancing or something, especially not in the last year. Um, but we are making time for each other. I mean, it might be something as simple as, hey, I need to go drop some stuff off at Nordstrom to be, you know, have some pants in. Let's go do that. And then let's go grab something to eat at Shake Shack nearby. You know, that's a pretty like regular date night for us. Um, that's pretty low-key and we'll sit in our lately we've been sitting in our car doing it because we haven't been eating in restaurants although hopefully that's about to change very soon Um, but you know it's not about that it's flashy it's just about saying hey I see you, I see you as an individual, not just as a parenting partner that we are, uh, we're married, that we're committed to each other. We love spending time together and we're gonna make that a priority. The other thing that we've done for a long time that we have not done it in the last year because of COVID is gone on quarterly getaways with each other, which sometimes just looks like staying overnight in a hotel down the street. You know, sometimes it means we actually go on a trip together, Um, but just making time for each other is so important. You know, that really can't wait. That can't wait 20 years till all of our kids are grown and out of the house because what will we have at that point?
1: With varying degrees of success, I've tried to incorporate this date night thing and and yeah. into into our life. My wife actually is better at it. She'll say, "Hey, I need to go, uh, you know, drop this off and go to the store. Do you want to go with me?" Right. And in, and in my mind, I'm like, "Go to the store," but then I'm like, "Oh wait, I get to go <laughs> with you." And the yeah. kids, you know, I have a teenage daughter and a slightly younger than that son, and it's like they can stay home by themselves. Yes, right. I'll go. Let's do this. Yay. Let's hang out. You know, <laughs> and so. I think even in those little moments, even even when it's somebody struggling to figure out, um, you know, how again, how do I get a babysitter? How do I, you know, overcoming right. all those minor obstacles? There are yep. ways to overcome them, you know, on a frequency basis. But yes, there are little wins that then can build momentum to bigger wins.
0: Well, I think so, too. And I would say just on the practical side, you know, my dad often says, and I think we even say in the book, what gets scheduled gets done. And the secret for us, whether we're talking about working out or date nights or whatever, is establishing a schedule and getting it set up where it's so automated that we take the decisions out of it. And so what that looks like for us is we have a babysitter scheduled every Tuesday night Every Tuesday night is a date night. And even if that means all we do is drive to Shake Shack or (laughs) Chick-fil-A, you know, we don't really do anything very exciting. We still have that time together that we can count on. And that has been so huge. So if I if I could go back and tell, you know, myself with young little kids, you know, back 10 years ago, I would say, just get it set up, whether that's swapping with a neighbor or a family member or whatever is realistic in your stage of life with your resources, just make a commitment to do it and then. And get it scheduled so you don't have to decide. Because, especially if you have young, young kids, you're tired. Like, by the time it gets to Tuesday night, and now you got to find a babysitter, you're just not going to do it. It's too much work.
1: Yeah. Well, and it can also be one of those things where uh, we, we run into this a lot where it's like, oh man, I haven't pre planned what is right. for dinner, right? Well, if right. you already know Tuesday night is that and you yep. you you know you have the babysitter set up and it's already on automation, right? It's, exactly. It's, it's suddenly like, oh, it's like, suddenly I found out I have the afternoon off. Yes. In a way. Absolutely. So. Well, you can
0: even make a list further automation. You can make a list of, hey, here's the four restaurants we're going to alternate between for the next 90 days.
1: Yes, yes, because then, you know? then, then you don't have to Who's do here? the, where do you want to go? I don't know, where do you want to go? And then the it's decision- the fatigue gets in. It's like, I don't know, you know,
0: wherever you can take the decisions out around your most important priorities and just automate it. I'm telling you, it is like a lifesaver in this season of life.
1: Yeah. Well, let's switch back over into, you know, I know we're all working from home a lot, but let's switch yes. back over into the the workplace here and talk a little bit about what leaders can do to implement the double win for their yeah. organization, their, their team members, but then also flip side, like, What are the team members who may be in an organization where their leader isn't thinking about this do to maybe start to, I don't know, make proactive suggestions?
0: Well, here's what I'll say. I I think that the way you sell this to your boss, and this is one of the questions we get all the time, you know, if you want to set hard boundaries on your day, which is one of the things we talk about in the book, you know, that you have a hard start to your day and a hard end to your day and times when you're absolutely unplugged because that's what humans need to flourish. You know, we can't be always on and perform at our best. It's impossible any more than an athlete can be running. You know 24 hours a day and expect to win a race it's just you don't have any rest it's impossible is that you have to sell this from the perspective of what matters to your boss and for most bosses what they're thinking about is results in performance you know how do i get the maximum results from my team and so if you can sell this from the perspective of hey i think i can deliver even better results for you and maybe that's concrete maybe you commit to some goals But here's what I'm going to need in order to do that. I'm going to need to be done at a certain time every day at five o'clock when when I'm done. I I can't be available unless it's an emergency. And here's how I like to be contacted for an emergency. And I'll always respond if there's a true emergency. You know, and and let's just try this as an experiment. Let's try it for thirty days. Let's try it for ninety days, and let's just see if I can produce better results. And if you feel like this is really working for you, I think most bosses are willing to say yes to that, so long as their interests are perspe- are respected. Now, if you're like, "Hey, my results are going to be cut in half, and I want to be you know unplugged on the weekends," probably that's a hard no, right? Um, but I think if you sell it from that perspective, most bosses are going to be open to it. Uh, If you are the boss, the thing to be really mindful of is to focus on outcomes and results and not on the process or micromanaging people. So when we're able to, as leaders, give our team a lot of autonomy, when we're we're able to allow them to prioritize areas outside of their life what you said earlier uh, about constraints driving innovation, which we talk a lot about in the book, is that you will get creative thinking, you'll get innovation, you'll get performance at a level you haven't seen. But you have to kind of take that risk of trusting your people. And when we're working with our clients, we have a, a big coaching program within our company called Business Accelerator. Where we're working with our coaching clients who are business owners. One of the biggest obstacles that they have to overcome is that desire to micromanage, you know, that they, they kind of want to be in charge the process and not the outcome, but it's so freeing when you can move to that. The other thing is what you'll find is you have morale, dramatic increases in morale, engagement, tenure, all kinds of things that employers are looking for in terms of producing results. So um, I would really encourage you to give this a try to also lead by example. This is, Eric, this is the hardest one, right? We know this from our experience. That whatever you do as a leader with your own behavior is what will become the standard for your team. So if you stop, have a hard stop at five o'clock, or in my case now, three o'clock, your team will feel permission to do that and even pressure to do that. If you're checking in on vacation, though, or if you're answering email at 530 in the morning, guess what they're going to do? Same thing, right? So we have to set the standard with our own behavior and then encourage people to be responsible for the results. And some pretty amazing things can happen on the other side of that.
1: Yeah, I used to work at a university and one of the most impressive things I ever saw was the university professor or not the professor, the uh, president. He, he sent an, uh, um, an email campus wide to every single mm. worker and said, I don't want anybody checking emails over the weekend.
0: Wow. And so to
1: set the precedent, this will be the last email you will get from me that will be outside of the weekend he sent it over the weekend on purpose to see who like saw it and replied it's kind of a <laughs> test i believe but great. it was genius because i i i actually saw it over the weekend and i felt like that oh okay yeah i'm not going to check these anymore right. but it was it was a calling out of that that culture in other words this is setting culture yeah. for your company and, and your life and the and the lives the lives of your your team uh the other thing that that it made me think of was again i keep hitting on this I'm done at 3.30 and the six-hour yeah. day. Here's the thing. Nobody's doing eight-hour days of work. It's just not. Right. You, you may say you're present. You're a warm body for eight hours exactly. a day. But but when I was sitting in a cubicle back in the day, like I wasn't answering the phone and or emails that whole time. Right. I was piddling away the hours. I was so good at getting certain things done I had two and a half, three hours of work that I got done in in eight, right? right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that's really common. In fact, there was a study that Microsoft did on their employees. And basically people were clocking about 45 hours a week on the job, but only 28 of those they measured to be productive. So basically just under six good hours a day Um, were really feasible for those folks. And so for for that matter, you know, once you get over about 50 hours a week, you start having diminishing returns in terms of your productivity. So we kind of tell ourselves the story that 8, 10, 12 plus hours a day is productive, but it's actually not. It's not productive. You're literally wasting time. Um, What that means is, of course, if you really only have six valuable hours of the day, give or take, that we need to be very, very, very choosy about what we spend our time on and what are truly high leverage activities. And this is the really the secret to how you accomplish the double win, how you can work less so that you can enable that success in the rest of your life. The only way that's really possible is for you to get laser focused on the highest leverage activities that you can possibly spend your time on, the ones that drive results that you're responsible for. Um, if you can do that, then all that other stuff that's kind of on the peripheral, you know, you can just sort of left that, let that go and really make some headway without losing anything except wasted time.
1: Yeah. And, and for more on that, you can jump into the free to focus book because yes, that's what that's absolutely. all about with the compass right. and, and all of yes. that. I I was privileged enough to to sit through the live sessions for that yeah. a few years back. I forget it's been probably four or five years now, but I just mm-hmm. remember how impactful that was. So I'll link yep. up to that book in the show notes for people. Um, the other thing that hits me is that if you're then compressing that time and saying, this is my window of work, and then you're not draining, you know, over draining yourself or over taxing yourself, you're going to see your yourself and your teammates have more energy, physical energy.
0: Right. Mental right. energy even. So, well, and, and creativity. I mean, yes. I, th- I think that's the amazing thing. You know, I don't know about you, Eric, but I find that my best ideas for our business come when I'm not working and I'm not even intentionally thinking about work. You know, like I was out running this morning and I was listening to a podcast and I was, you know, outside. I hate working out. Indoors or doing cardio indoors, I don't mind lifting weights indoors. But you know, I, I like love getting out in the neighborhood and, and running. And I just had this brainstorm of ideas about our culture and teamwork and how we could do things better. And I was listening to a podcast, which I always start out doing or a book, and I only get about ten minutes in before I have to turn it off because I have some kind of you know like brainstorm that makes me stop and I have to think about it or call somebody or whatever. And you know, I think that's a great example of the value of non achievement time. Because when we're not in a place of trying to achieve, we're not, quote, unquote, working, our brain has the ability to make different kinds of connections than it would normally in kind of that literal linear space of work. And that's what we need. I mean, We're living in a time that is demanding innovation and creativity, and that's why we need to strategically and intentionally use non-achievement time to feed our brain so that we have something to draw from.
1: Well, and the other ultimate, I guess, non-achievement time would be sleep, right? Because yes, sleep affects us in places absolutely. where, you know, I, I, for, for the longest time, and, and, and your, your dad and I have talked about this, his whole nap thing really pushed me over. <laughs> I think it was 2017 or somewhere in there, four or five years ago now. He made me a believer, in other words. And yeah. so in, in naps, but naps aren't the only place where sleep super important. Right. It is important to right. get great nights of sleep. Uh, that's been something, again, it's been a little out of whack this past year, year and a half sure. now, but it's still so super important. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's partly why My you've got these I, these constraints in place.
0: Absolutely. I mean, here's the scary thing. If you're sleeping six hours or less a night, it's equivalent to being legally intoxicated. I mean, that's sobering, pun intended, right? Yeah. Like when you, when you hear that, Think about all the nights you slept six hours a night, especially in the last year with all the anxiety, right? It's really easy to sleep six hours a night and have that kind of be your normal. And yet, when you think about one of the most important activities you can do as a leader, as a uh, professional is make decisions, is be creative. Your decision-making ability, your ability to discriminate between tasks and choose the high leverage ones are so diminished by exhaustion. And most of us are running around absolutely flat out exhausted and we don't even know it, you know, it's become our normal. And in reality, you know, if you're thinking to yourself, listening to us talk, gosh, my self-care in the last year has just really gotten off track. You know, I've not been exercising. I haven't been paying attention to my nutrition, my mental health maybe isn't where I want it, whatever. If you were going to start with one thing, I would start with prioritizing eight hours of sleep a night. I don't think anything will change your life for the better, more, including your professional performance more than that. And that, that really starts with saying, I've got a structured bedtime. I'm going to bed at this time. I'm going to be in bed. No, you know, in my case, that's nine o'clock, you know, and, and every night I have to say no to things that I'd like to keep doing. Uh, My husband, Joel is actually more of a night owl than I am. So it's even bigger sacrifice for him than it is for me, but that's critical. If I don't sleep, I'm just I'm I'm a mess. You know, the difference between eight hours and six and a half for me is a difference between a good day the next day and a, and a bad day. And I think a great day, a productive day, a day of contribution starts the night before. And so for us, our in this book, When It Work and Succeed at Life. Sleep is one of the most important performance strategies for getting the double win. You really cannot have the double win if you don't prioritize sleep.
1: So I'd love to ask you, what are some of the practical ways that you and, you know, with a husband and five kids, how do yeah. you <laughs> clear that all out of the way to then make that nine, yeah. 8, you know, nine p.m. Bedtime work? And, and what's yeah. that look like on the flip side when you wake up in the morning?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, like everything for us, I think it starts with vision. You know, it's, it starts with why do, Why is this important? You know, it's not just like some rule. I mean, it, it has to do with who we want to become, how we want to show up. And those are conversations that Joel and I are having together. And we really had, this is probably actually the hardest thing we've had to negotiate around kind of like shared decision-making in our marriage, because Joel is, it like in his perfect world, he'd probably stay up till 11. You know, that's just how he's wired. I could go to bed at 830 every night. I'm like, I'm done at that point. Um, and so we really had to talk through that about why that mattered and why I needed that and usually in a marriage, there's one person that's kind of more early evening oriented and one person that's more of a night owl. That's pretty normal. Um, and, and, and so I think just talking through that has been really critical. So starting out with a vision has been very important and then saying, OK, well, if that's going to happen, then what does our evening ritual look like? And And like ritual makes it sound like it's really complicated. It's not. But like, you know, I like to take a bath every night. That's kind of part of my evening ritual. Well, if I'm going to do that and get in bed by nine, I can't like, take a bath at eight 45. You know, that's not, I'm going to now be at nine 30 by the time that's all done. So we have to back it up. We have to kind of coordinate the kids' bedtimes and our kids, by the way, their ages are 20 to two. So we have literally (laughs) every stage of kid, except a newborn at this point in our house, you know? Um, and so some of the kids are going to bed later than we are, but we have to structure all of that to make it work so that when we're ready to get in bed, all the different things work. Then on the flip side, we're getting up at five o'clock because as you said, we have five kids, the kids start getting up at about 630. And that's our window of time to be able to plan our day to uh, have a devotional time where people faith. So that's important to us. Um, Part of my self care is I plan uh, what I'm going to eat for the day. It's not like diety, but it's just like, I want to be intentional about making sure I have a plan that I'm not going to get too hungry, that I'm nourishing my body. So I make that plan every day. And then we both work out, we have a a little gym upstairs in our home, I was kind of an addition of COVID. Um, um, you know, or sometimes we'll alternate going outside uh, and running, and or riding bikes or whatever. And you know that all has to happen before the kids are up and going, especially the baby. You know where uh, we can can make all that happen. So it's it starts with that vision and intention, and then really figuring out a plan and tweaking it until we get it right. And there's been a lot of tweaking because we got a lot of variables with all those kids.
1: That's the thing I want to stress here is that. It's yeah. not some perfection that you reach. It's no. that it's a continual, no. you know, seasons come, seasons go, kids grow, right. needs change. And so yeah. that that's been the thing for me is like cyclically, my stuff changes when it comes to people being totally people being home or people being at school and what my summer looks like versus spring and fall and, and winter. So.
0: I really evaluate those things on a quarterly basis. Those rituals, because the morning ritual and the evening ritual in particular, because they change. For example, when our now two-year-old daughter was tiny, you know that our our morning ritual was totally different. I was I was lucky if I got ten minutes to have a quick devotion and like itemize what were my big three priorities for the day. And I mean, like, I'm writing it down really quick. That's all I could do before it was time to get her up and feed her. And that's fine. That's just that season of life, and it'll it'll change. And it's we we can't you know my dad is an empty nester uh, he's sixty five you know that's a totally different stage than my stage of life I'm forty one with five kids all still at home. Right. So uh, and that's different from somebody who has a newborn and a two year old. And we just have to be flexible versus someone who has no kids. We just have to be flexible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you've got You've got to have that awareness of where you're at, yeah. who you are, where you're at, what your intentions are, who's right. on your team at home and at work, all yes. of that, all yep. of that awareness yep. before you can really. In other words, don't get down on yourself as nope. you start to go through the book, because it seems impossible or impractical when it's very possible and small steps of practicality are going to make it even more possible as you go
0: i think so too and i and i think not to you know keep repeating myself, but I really think it starts kind of like in my story with this commitment to here's what I need in my life. Here are my non-negotiables in terms of my self-care, my relational priorities, and my professional results. Here's what matters. And that might just be a couple of things in each of those categories. Maybe later in your life, it'll be more complicated or more robust. Um, but, But then once you have that non-negotiable list, you can start figuring out how to make that happen. You will be surprised at how many options are available to you once you have that vision and you start looking for it. It's amazing how things start showing up.
1: Yeah. It it reminds me of habit stacking. It's it's small, quick wins that are done consistently laying that brick for foundation, and then you can build on that. That's right. So I want to start pointing people to the book, though, because this is I mean, this is a great it's I, I want to say short and sweet, but it's not. But it is at the same time. You know, I, liked, it I is, like it is. Yeah. I like when books aren't like filled with fluff and just regurgitate stuff over and over and over again. You <laughs> outline it and you go through it and it's perfect. So I want to start pointing people Thank to you. where they can go uh, to get the book and or find out more and, you know, any bonus stuff or right. all that kind of stuff.
0: Absolutely. Well, we've got lots of great bonuses for your listeners, Eric, and people can find out about those at winandsucceedbook.com slash beyond. So winandsucceedbook.com slash beyond. One of the really cool things that we're doing is on April 20th, we're having a live book launch event where uh, my dad and I are going to be interviewed in really kind of one of the most uh, intimate interviews that we've ever done with uh, Michelle Kachat, who's on our team, our director of coaching. And she's going to just, we actually have no idea what she's going to ask us, but she's really going to dig into our stories. We have a couple of other great interviews that we're doing as a part of that um, with guests. I think it's going to be a really inspiring, practical time for people. So that's totally free. You get a ticket to that. It's like a $500 value uh, when you pre-order the book. So I'd love for you guys to join us for that. I think it's going to be a really special time.
1: Perfect. Well, yeah, this will be out in time for people. So you don't want to waste time. Go check the show notes right. for this episode to get the links for that, get the book and, and all that. And oh, gosh, I, I'm looking forward to that now. So
0: I think it's going to be so great. I'm really excited. In fact, later today, um, I'll be recording an interview with Shalene Johnson, who actually has a neat part of my own story uh, of the double win. So I get to interview her in advance of that event as well. So it's going to be really neat.
1: Very cool. I love Chalene. She's awesome. I can't, I know. She, I her too. dance, her dance parties on stages are just kind of, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I can't believe you're doing this, but no, this makes a lot of sense. Keep going. So, <laughs> well, Megan, it's been, it's, it's the
0: stuff of envy. Yeah
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, Megan, it's been great talking with you. And, uh, yeah, I'll just uh, make sure everybody go check out the stuff in the show notes for this episode. You're not going to want to miss out on this. Megan, let's make sure that this is your first appearance of many. How about that? Let's put that. Absolutely. Thank you.
0: I would love to come back. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Eric. This has really been a blast.
1: Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Megan Hyatt Miller. I had a great time talking with her, and this will definitely be the first of many appearances that she will make moving forward. That's not to say we won't have Michael back. We definitely will. Really looking forward to that as well. If you enjoyed this conversation, I would love for you to do me the favor and somebody else the favor of sharing this episode with them. To do that, just hit the share button in whatever your podcast player app of choice is that you're listening to this in or head on over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com and share it from there. Thanks so much for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next episode.